Welcome to another late night episode of Step Back Sisterhood. I'm your host this evening, Amber Vickers. We got Brittany, Janelle, and Tara. Boy, oh boy, there was a Black Wednesday. Uh, Janelle tweeted it, and it was crazy. It was crazy last Wednesday. I was cleaning my house, listening to my old school music. The next thing I know, I'm getting notifications about this coach, this coach, this player, everything that's been going on. We haven't been on here for a while, so a lot of changes have been made. And coaches have been getting fired or parting ways or mutually parting ways, however you want to slice it. I got a question for the ladies. Which departure, I'll call it, shocked you the most? To be honest, I think the first one that I have to say is the Dallas one. Um, we did post a now, um, lost edition of the show two weeks ago. And I said that there was a potential that, um, you know, they may make changes to the Dallas um, coaching staff and front office, but it didn't seem realistic. But I mean, man, after that report that happened with the, I guess now former, or maybe he is still part of the board. Um, and then they completely cleaned house with folks. That was surprising to me. Yeah, I agree. That Dallas one was a shocker because, you know, I thought that, you know, Carlisle was, was safe. And I, I wasn't even expecting him to, um, to resign. You know, I, I, I knew about the front office and, and all of their issues and them, them cleaning house there, but the coaching staff was a shocker, but it, I, Anything else? It wasn't shocking to me. You know, heard about some, you know, tension with Stan Van Gundy and the Pelicans. Um, Brooks being out in DC doesn't surprise me either, you know, but Dallas was a surprise. I think the only thing with the Pels is that he only got a season. Like, you know, in Indy, um, their coaching changed. Like there was a lot of, you know, commotion or maybe like a, a little bit more commotion compared to Van Gundy and the Pels. But I mean, I was sort of surprised that they only gave it a year with Stan Van Gundy. I thought they would at least give two. Yeah. I think most of them shocked me. The only one that really didn't shock me was the Blazers because I really saw that one coming as a Blazer fan. It had been the talk pretty much most of the season. And so nobody was particularly surprised about that, but I really did not think Carlisle was going to leave. I have, I don't understand at all why Stan Van Gundy uh, was only given a year and Brad Stevens that, you know, him leaving to take the job in the front office really shocked me. And I don't know if it was just that they had, I mean, cause I believe he said that he was worn out, you know, with the head coaching. And I don't know if it was just, I don't know. You look at some of these coaches who've been around forever and like, you're like, aren't you going to retire? Like Popovich, dude, you've been around for so long. Like go ahead and retire. It's okay. Live out your life. But then a really young guy like Brad Stevens to say that, you know, he was going to step away from it. That just, I don't know. I just wasn't expecting that. So a lot of them really did surprise me. And then, of course, every time some new coach leaves their position and some new head coaching position comes open, it, like, shakes everything up in terms of all of the people trying to forecast what's going to happen with Portland. I would just like to say that I called the indie coach probably getting fired when we had the podcast because you saw them fighting on the sidelines one game, and I was like, what the heck is going on? And you usually don't see, I mean, players and coaches get disgruntled, right? It was the head coach. I think one of the assistants, I think they ended up letting him go or he got suspended for one game. I'm not quite sure in a player. And you usually don't see that much. You'll see some disagreement on the sidelines, but that was a little out of hand. Like you usually, they usually say that for the locker room. So the coach from Indy getting fired, I saw that coming, but Nick Nurse did hire him to help coach the Canadian team, I think. Bjorkman, Bjorkman, Bjorkman. Yeah, Bjorkman. Okay. Okay. Hopefully I'm saying his name right. But Nick Nurse has hired him to help coach the Canadian national team. 
that didn't surprise me. Rick Carlisle, once Donnie Nelson stepped down, I said, okay, I think Carlisle might be next. And it was like a 2% chance, right? I'm like, okay, maybe Rick Carlisle wants to coach Luca for another year. Christos Porzingis has already came out. Well, his entourage or family or whatever said he's not happy with his role in Dallas. But I'm like, dude, if you just stay healthy. But on the flip side today, you're thinking, okay, I came here to play with Luca. A lot of people didn't think Luca would be this good this early, right? So now KP is thinking, okay, I want to come play with Luca. I didn't think that this would be my role because KP essentially turned into a role player playing with Luca. And I don't think he wants that particular role. So was it Carlisle's system or was it health? We know health had a lot to do with it. Or was it the Dallas franchise saying, okay, it's Luca's team, which we all know that to be true. So is KP staying in Dallas with a new coach and maybe him and Luca can be that one two punch, but he has to stay healthy, right? He, the best ability is availability. The best ability is availability. Mm-hmm. So it, that, that shocked me. Now what shocked me that hasn't happened yet that should have happened probably last season is Luke Walton still having a job. <sighs> I feel so bad. Me. Coach Budenhosen still shocked me having a job after that, after nearly blowing the series against yeah. Do you yeah. think that he has to win it all to keep his job? Cause like yes. you watch them play and they do not, yes. I don't know how they win games. I, yes. I have no idea how they're winning games because they don't look like a well-oiled machine. Let's just say. Did, yep. did any of you catch my article on them for basketball news? The headline was what the buck. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I like was, it. I, I wasn't expecting them to use it because usually when I, Write headlines. I just write it, just talk and have like something to file, you know, to, to save a story under. But it worked. Yeah, I wrote about the books and how Giannis and Bud was blowing the series, but but but, but Bud can teach a master class in coach malpractice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you elaborate. Tell me. Elaborate. Playing a good example is uh, playing drop coverage on KD, and you know, getting well. You know, he likes to do mid range. You know, not doubling him with Giannis or Holiday, and just sticking with whatever game plan. He won't game make it five. Doesn't. I think yeah. all of game five. All is. of game five. <laughs> oh goodness. Gosh. I'm like, do he want to get fired? I mean, what what is he doing? Yeah, some of my friend or some of the folks that I'm in a group chat with, they meant they said that um Coach Bud reminds them of um Mike D'Antoni a lot, where he doesn't, you know, really change his strategies until after games. And like I, I said previously that if the Bucks, you know, had a very close series against the now eliminated Brooklyn Nets that um in the Eastern Conference Finals, then he probably could save his job and not need to. But I think after that game five, it yeah, it's it's basically done. Um like he <laughs> needs to win a championship or he's probably gonna be let go the second that the series, you know, that series ends, especially since they're playing Atlanta, who is a super young team, um, you know, sort of reminiscent of the Golden State Warriors the first year where a ton of, you know, teams were injured or just like not prepared for them and them being able to run through. So we'll see. Yeah, that, oh goodness, where do I start with Coach Bud? I don't want to go too far into him because they did win the series, but they won the series and they beat Kevin Durant and one-legged James Harden. Joe Harris struggled. Joe Harris struggled mightily and they got lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, They got extremely lucky because if Joe Harris just gives you 15 points a game, that series probably goes, what, six, maybe six, maybe. Um, And, you know, health is wealth. We know that. And, 
everybody hasn't been available for the playoffs. I'm not making an excuse for why the Bucks won. I'm not doing that. But what I will say is there is no way on this good earth we live on, somewhat, because it's a little polluted, there is no way that you should go to seven games with a Kevin Durant and a one lady James Harden. There's no, there's no way. How does that happen? How does that happen? I, I need somebody to explain that to me. All right. That's a good transition. All right. We're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about this Bucks net series because who, when I tell you I did, I did pick the Nets to win. I will say that ladies, I did pick the Nets to win. I did too, but there's no way, but there were no adjustments made in game, right? Giannis was gassed in the second quarter. You know, Kevin Durant got a little gassed there at the end, which, you know, makes sense because Kevin Durant is working hard for his shots. (laughs) He has to work on offense to get those shots. And you work, I always thought that you spend more energy on offense than defense because on defense, you slide your feet, move. Okay, cool. But on offense, if the player knows you, i.e. P.J. Tucker knows him pretty well. Drew Holiday loves him well. Chris Middleton knows him well. But P.J. Tucker knows him the best. You have to have a move, a counter move. Okay, if that doesn't work, I know I can shoot over him, but the physicality and punishment he's taking on offense, right? How do you let Kevin Durant go berserk when that's all they have? Joe Harris is struggling. They're daring Bruce Brown to shoot. We're just letting it, just saying, hey, you shoot the ball. Jeff Green played here and there. Blake Griffin did play well. But James Harden doesn't have the legs to shoot. So, ladies, that's my thoughts on the Bucks net series because I could really go for a long time. What are your thoughts when you saw that Bucks in that series? Uh, I actually really enjoyed watching Kevin Durant try to do it all. (laughs) Because, I mean, he's always had really good teammates. Like, it's been pretty rare where he didn't have anybody else who was as good as him playing or you know close to good as uh, playing alongside him and it was really fun to watch him go off and do everything I thought that game where he played 48 minutes was nuts I mean remember how at the beginning of the year when they like they had the interviews between Kyrie and Kevin Durant and they're like it's going to be a coaching collaborative or whatever and it really looked like a coaching collaborative or collective or whatever it was that they they saw it because it was like, okay, we're going to play Kevin Durant the whole 48 minutes. But I enjoyed it. I I I actually enjoyed watching it. And I never once saw Giannis doing the same thing. You know, like, and I know Giannis had a little bit more help, but like he won MVP twice, you know, and like he, I guess he, you know, put up, I don't know. He just didn't have that same, like, I'm putting this game on my back and I'm just going to do absolutely everything I can. So I was, I was like, I called the um, Nets also this year, Amber. And I really thought that at least two out of the three, or, you know, I thought they were going to have better health. And I think health is so much for it. But I just, I do have to say that I really enjoyed watching Kevin Durant just try to do it all and I don't mean that like in a in a mean way like I really liked watching him have to do it all by himself I mean it like it was really fun to watch the the skill and the finesse that he employed to to try to carry that team by himself because I've never had so much fun watching him before I agree I agree uh watching KD do his thing was was phenomenal and it it serves as a reminder of you know, what, what kind of scorer he is. He is a multifaceted scorer, score on all three levels. And he just reminded everybody what he's capable of. And, and it was just, you know, amazing. I, I was in awe. But with that said, Giannis, as great as he is, he need to embrace the fact that he is a big instead of a wing. He need to, Embrace being a five. And that was one adjustment that uh, Bud should have made. But with Giannis, you could really see where he's lacking. You know, Harden's criticism was was spot on. And until he can get a reliable jumper or, or anything reliable or some post moves, you know, he would always kind of be limited. And... 
But like I said, like I said in my article, like I said a few minutes ago, a master class in coaching malpractice. How again, drop coverage on KD when he's lighting you up every from everywhere, especially in the mid-range. And you don't try to throw traps at anybody at KD. You don't try to make holiday. Like, and holiday wasn't, didn't do much. I thought he was very underutilized. Holiday was underutilized. Underutilized. And Robin Lopez was nearly, I mean, Brooke Lopez, I'm sorry. Brooke Lopez was nearly unplayable. Was unplayable. Yeah. I, I feel like the moment, like the entire series was very entertaining. First of all, I think regardless of the malpractice that coach Bud had and the injury issues for the Nets, it was a very entertaining series from start to finish. But the moment that was really sort of showed my frustration about Giannis and him winning a back to back championship or back to back MVP, sorry, not championship. Let's, that's not to be seen is what happened towards the end of game five where he posted up against a hamstring grade two injured James Harden for no reason when he doesn't have any post moves. That was the moment where I was like, how in the heck did he win a back to back MVP? Like I, I, I will continue to say that they gave Giannis an MVP based on potential and not actual, like, what he could do now. Um, Because he's an incredible player, but you should not be giving an MVP just because he's seven-something and he occasionally can make a three and doesn't have any post moves for someone his size. That – that, but I think overall, besides, like, Coach Bub, what we talked about and, you know, and – just the uh, unfortunate, um, you know, for Nets fans about Harden getting hurt 48, seven, 48 seconds in. Um, it, it was a very entertaining series, um, regardless of the end results. Giannis making threes occasionally is an understatement. That dude shot 24% for the whole series. Like, like I said, he need, he need to stop taking more threes and develop some moves. I mean, any moves. Any moves. Any moves. I saw on Twitter where they said he needs to call Hakeem ASAP. <laughs> he needs he to call Hakeem Olajuwon ASAP. I mentioned that in my article too. Yeah, because there's no way. If you're that big, right? I know footwork can be difficult, right? But you can get it down. You can get it down. Um Carmelo Anthony is what six eight, and his footwork is phenomenal in on the low block. If you just look at it, but guess who he worked with? He worked with Hakeem. LeBron worked with Hakeem. I wanted Dwight Howard to work with Hakeem for years, but he never got. Oh, I, how I feel about Dwight Howard. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he never did it. But if you just work on your footwork and develop those post moves, you know how much how much more dominant he could be. Do you know how much more dominant he could actually be? That is, that is ridiculous. Now I am going to say this. Giannis has gotten better. He has gotten better. I'm not, I'm not going to put him on Ben Simmons level. We're going to talk about him in a minute. I'm not going to put him on the level of Ben Simmons. He has gotten a lot better, but I would love to see him post moves. Go to one move. They stop it. Go to a counter move. I would love to see that from Giannis as big as he is. You know, and the free throws, I think, is a mental block, right? I think those free throws are just mental. He spends 20 seconds at the line, right? You guys heard it in Brooklyn. One, two, three, you know. And they never call it. And they never, they call it once. I think they maybe once or twice they've called it, but that's it. But he spends so much time with the free throw line. My mom said, Amber, he sure is taking a long time to shoot those free throws. And if Jackie calls that out, then you know you're taking a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's a mental block for him. But Giannis has gotten better. I will, I will say that. Now, another series I want to talk about, ladies, is the 76ers and the Hawks. We're going to stay in the East. Oh. 76ers and Hawks. And Ben Simmons better delete all of his social media immediately in my Bernie Mac voice. I just, for the life of me, Ben, I think it's a mental thing too. I think something is going on in Ben's head. 
Because when you see Ben Simmons aggressive on offense, the 76ers just, they just click. They look a lot better. When Joel and B was out and Ben Simmons was aggressive on offense, they look like a great team. They look like a great team, a team that will be very difficult to stop. But the young Hawks, man, they came through. Ice Trey, shout out to Trey Young, a Norman, Oklahoma native. He went to the University of Oklahoma, by the way. Uh, he came through. And that young team, John Collins, uh, Bogey, they all came through and pushed through for Nate McMillan. He better get an extension or I'm going to be upset. What did you guys think about that series? Because I personally loved that series. I, I really I did. Too. I loved that series. Just seeing the progression of the Hawks is very exciting. And I actually wrote about them too. You know, um, they – their goal initially in the season, I, I guess their expectations were to make the sixth seed and make some noise, but they exceeded expectations. And it's just awesome to watch how Nate McMillan has um, made them move the ball and made them more aggressive on defense. Uh, and it's really paying off. Yeah, for sure. It really paying off for them. And, What's really fascinating about their ball movement is the fact that they're doing most of their damage in the paint instead of the perimeter and chucking a lot of threes. Um, you know, and if they decide to spread out defenses, they have shooters in Bogdanovic, Herder, Collins, Gallinari. I mean, it's, you know, pretty much pick your poison. It's just, it's just going to be really interesting to see not only how far they go in this conference finals matchup, but, you know, the next steps for next year. But the Sixers, they got some issues, and I think it's time to break up the process. And I got a question to pose. Who goes, Joel or Ben? And who won't Ben after um what he – done or didn't do for the series I think that's a hard question I think probably Ben would leave because Joel like regardless of the end result he had a really good series until he got hurt the issue with both of them is that they're injury issues like especially Joel like he being out for those you know games really you know sort of caused what it was one of the reasons why there was a downfall when it came to the 76ers like he was slow you know once he returned the next game he was like just very slow he was trying to recover and I don't think he ever really caught his breath like he had moments where he was shining again after the you know his um injury um stuff but it was just pretty bad but as for Ben I don't know. I think at this point, a lot of, or at least what I've seen from Sixers Twitter, um, the few fans that I follow, they're really wanting him to go. Um, the question is, is like you said, who's going to, you know, take him? I could see potentially Sacramento. You know, there are a lot of issues with Sacramento and a lot of folks from that team want to be traded actively. Um, so I could see Sacramento being a partner. Um, folks are saying like maybe the Rockets. I don't know about that. I think he, he is 24. Like he's about to turn 25 in a couple of weeks. Um, so there's an opportunity for him to like be able to get to a spot. But the thing is like it until he can figure out that he's a right-hand shooter. He's not going to be, uh, you know, a valuable part of any offensive system. I, I don't know if I can say that any more kindly than that. Yeah. And what I'm curious about, I mean, you know, players struggle mentally sometimes, but I'm wondering with Ben is, is he really committed to the game or is it all about what the game has done for him in terms of lifestyle? It seems to me that it's more of the latter. You know, he he don't really care about it. I mean, he's just happy to, to, to be here and get paid, which is fine. But, but as far as, you know, 
putting him in any discussions about being elite and he haven't really shown what it takes to to go to that next level you know really developing on offense and really taking taking what he does seriously you know like he like Ben said in the press conference he is who he is and if that's his attitude Philly's in trouble well I think that there is trouble in Philly I think I don't I can't I don't know what his attitude is. I don't know him enough. I haven't watched him play long enough, but I know that he played for a team that was actively trying not to be good. And they um, have had so many years of process and adjustment. I don't think that has made, I don't think that that has made him better. But I don't think that that doesn't mean that he can't get better. And obviously I'm talking about this because I have a vested interest in him because there's a lot of talk in Portland about Ben Simmons to Portland. But I mean, just watching, watching them play the 76ers play in that series, they didn't, they didn't seem inspired and like a team. They kept like different individuals kept trying to do something. And they chose weird things to do. Like I've never seen somebody on the floor as much as Joel Embiid was on the floor mm-hmm. and like turning the ball over, trying to do things. Like I don't always like fault guys who get a lot of turnovers because a lot of time they're turning the ball over because they're trying to do something creative, but it, they just, they were not playing like, again, like another well-oiled machine, um, you know, reference. They weren't playing like that. And it just feels like they've had such a, you know, the process has like taken over and become their identity. And I don't think you want that to be your identity. You want to have identity to be, you know, strength and winning, not like we're trying. And um so anyway, there's been a lot of talk in Portland about a CJ for Ben Simmons. And, you know, six weeks ago, it was like, oh, Philadelphia would never give up Ben Simmons for CJ. And now the conversation is is very different because, you know, because of his performance, he hasn't gotten a lot of it. Ben Simmons didn't gain a lot of admirers. But, you know, salary-wise, they're pretty close. Ben Simmons is considerably younger than CJ. And, uh, you know, he brings something completely different that the Blazers don't have a defense and, um, you know, a, a tall, you know, ball handler. And, you know, so I'm intrigued. I, I really, that, that's why I, but that's why I say I'm telling myself this because I know it's a good possibility that there, he's going to be in, in talks, trade talks this summer. Um, but I think a change of scenery, getting as far away from there as he could possibly get, because I mean, those Philly fans are rough. They do not hold back. They are not Portland polite like we are, where we'll like, you know, talk about you behind your back, but in the, in the front, we'll be like, yeah, you're a blazer. We love you. And then we'll go talk about you behind your back. But you know, in Philly, they just throw it all out there. And like, he must, he just looked broken in terms of just like emotionally, like completely broken and worn out. So I like to think that he is better than that. You know, like you were saying, you know, when, uh, when it was just him, he was showing a lot of stuff. So this is a very long way of to say that I think a change of scenery could do Ben Simmons really well. And I'm, uh, I'm afraid I'm trying to talk myself into it. So I'm wondering what, if, if any of you think that his fit might be, you know, along somebody like Damian Lillard. Um, I guess personally, I, I felt as though, I think even since our early episodes that, um, Simmons needed a true point guard and he should sort of transition to, you know, a three, four or even a four, five role instead of trying to play, you know, point forward, I guess, similar to the Giannis situation. Um, he, I think he would be a, a really good fit next to, um, Damien. I, I, I'll be honest about that. Just because like one, he can actually, you know, defend, he can, you know, defend I would say essentially one to five, maybe more realistically two through five. Um, he does have some issues with some um, point guards or like true point guards, but in general, he's just really good um, in that perspective. 
I, and then I, I would hope that wherever he goes, um, if he stays a part of the 76ers or if he gets traded to some other organization that they get a shooting coach in who can be honest with him and say like, Hey, you need to change your shooting stroke or else you're not going to be in the league for that much longer. I think that's the one thing that he, I mean, if he's actually wanting to improve after being essentially embarrassed during game seven, he has to do that in a quick order. I saw something interesting, ladies. I saw something very interesting on Twitter. Somebody said that Ben Simmons is like Rondo without the aggression. You remember early in Rondo's career, he just, his hands are so big that shooting the ball was very difficult. He had to learn how to shoot the ball with those big hands. I remember that because I've been following Rondo since high school, basically. But Rondo is smaller. And Rondo was a very good defensive point guard, you know, back in his early days. Rondo shot the ball, though. Rondo actually attempted shots. And that's the difference, right? Ben Simmons is not even attempting to look at the goal. We all know that famous play from Game 7. I can say it now because it is infamous because I've seen it on Twitter. I've seen so many memes of Joel Embiid looking like LeBron James with J.R. Smith. I know you guys remember that. He had a wide open layup and chose to pass the ball to Thibault and Thibault split the two free throws, split them. He didn't hit two, he split them, which Ben Simmons was probably afraid to get fouled and go to the line, but it was wide open. But I just figured, oh boy, I'm going to get fouled. Let me get rid of the ball. But he didn't look at the goal. He didn't even attempt to look at the goal. And he gave it to Thibault. Thibault got sandwiched in between two players and split the free throws. I think that was the biggest difference in that game. After that, you got a Trey Young floater. um, And then you got some more points from Atlanta. And Kevin Herter just went bonkers on Seth Curry. Seth Curry Curry was great on on offense. But defense, goodness. Uh, Ginger Snap, he had had a fun field day. And I enjoy watching Kevin Herter play. I enjoy watching him play in college. And he has really shown a lot of confidence. Trey Young struggled in game seven. Right? He struggled in game seven and Kevin Herter really stepped up. Ben, Joel, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry really carried Philly. If you want me to be completely honest, Seth Curry had the most consistent player. He was the most consistent player in that series by far. And that's a lot to ask for Seth Curry, but he did it. He, he, Seth Curry did it and I'm proud of Seth. So. Janelle, to answer your question, I don't know. I'm going to tell you why I don't know who you keep. Joel Embiid's health, as big as he is, and his body is already deteriorating. It started at college in Kansas when he had back issues. Now he's had knee issues. So now you got back and knee issues. Then he had back issues again. Then he had knee issues again. And they just keep repeating, going back and forth. And as big as he is, I think he might have three years left in his prime. And that might be a hot take, but it's for as big as he is in that weight. And he's already had those issues since he was, what, 17, 18 years old. He might have three years left in his prime, right? With Ben Simmons, I think it's a confidence issue, but I do think he needs a change of scenery. I saw a proposal to go to OKC. I've been shutting all that down on Twitter. No, we don't want Ben Simmons. We have 50 million draft picks, draft lotteries tomorrow night. I can't wait. We don't want Ben Simmons. SGA is just fine. Well, he can play. I'm not paying Ben Simmons $35 million to not shoot the ball. I'm just not going to do it. Sam Presti is not going to do it. So you have to think about both players. Could you get rid of both? It's it's a hot take. It's a hot take. I know it could be a little hot take, but but Brittany, I see you turned your mic off. What do you think? Because I don't think Joel Embiid has much longer. I think he has three years left in his prime, and that might be it because of his body i mean i guess the question is are the sixers comfortable with essentially doing another rebuild so soon after the process and years of tanking for you know half a decade essentially until now where they're you know they're going to be competitive for you know if they did trade both simmons and Embiid. i mean they do have good complimentary or complimentary players if i can talk but they would 
essentially, unless they are able to get a big name, would be in the rebuild process again. And then that could potentially have um, Coach Doc, which I guess we probably don't have time to talk about him. But, yeah, another Game 7 failure for Coach Doc. Um, Coach Doc. Um, that could, uh, you know, sort of cause him to leave. Like, are the Sixers as an organization comfortable with having to do a rebuild? Um, and that's also saying with Daryl Morey, who left an organization that was seconds away from being rebuilt, is he going to want to go to another organization that's going to rebuild immediately after and essentially, you know, have to do the thing that he probably should have done in Houston, but skipped out on? Hmm. That, that's a good question. And I think it's something to think about. Now, I'm not saying Joel B can't play for 10 more years. I just don't see his body lasting him that long and him being that big with those injuries, knee and back. And they just keep taking turns. They just keep, it just keeps happening for him. So I say three years max in his prime left. And then you have to look at him and say, okay, can Joel and, could, can Joel and B give me we're going to go back to 82 games next season. Can he give me 82 games and a playoff series or two or three? Can he give me that healthy? Is that a question that you think Daryl Morey is thinking about? Or do you think it's more of, okay, maybe if we get him some more help offensively, they could take the load off him offensively. But I think he wants that. He wants, he wants to be the best big man in the league. He talks about it. So, do you lighten his responsibility due to his health or do you cut your losses? Now, I know this could be a hot take, ladies and gentlemen, that, you're, that are listening, but I'm just thinking of, I'm just thinking out loud here. I mean, when I look at Joel Embiid compared to the person who did win MVP, you know, the other MVP candidate who win Jokic, like, I don't, I guess I'm curious about what you all think as Jok, of, of Jokic as the MVP. I have no problems with it because I think he's a phenomenal player that makes people around him better. However, you know, if you look at it, Joel Embiid t- did take his, you know, his team, did he take him one farther? Took him a few more games anyway. Um, but I just, I, I feel like when you, uh, for me, in terms of like keeping him around Philadelphia for the longer term, you know, he's older than Ben Simmons and he's been around. There's a, been a lot of wear and tear, even though he hasn't played, you see how hard he plays. And I'll bring up again, like how often he falls down, you know, and like just, you know, having being his coach or his general manager, like having your heart stop every time he falls down, um, you know, would be hard. And I, I just, I see him individually carrying the team sometimes, but I just don't see that whole team as as strong a unit as I think they need to be if they're going to go farther. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point they need to split Simmons and Embiid. It's just the question of, do they want to keep Simmons? Which I think after game seven, the Sixers fans may be completely like they may do the treatment that they did with um, Markel folks who actually didn't deserve that um, since his play in Orlando, unfortunately he got injured earlier this season. But um, I mean, the Sixers fans, Philly fans in general, they tend to really sour on folks like you were saying earlier, um, Tara. So I, I feel as though they're going to have to split them up. Um, but if they do keep MB, they need to get one, a complimentary point guard who's actually pretty decent. Um, and they need to get someone, um, a backup center or at least someone who can play four or five who can actually do decent things most of the time, and Dwight Howard was not that. I have a question, ladies. I have, I have a question to propose. Now, we know Kyle Lowry's from Philly. Do they get? Do they keep Ben Simmons, keep Joel Embiid, have Kyle Lowry, and then you have Tobias Harris and Danny Green or Thibault, whoever you want to start? Do you keep it like that? Say, for instance, if you – well, we could go Kyle Lowry, Seth Curry – um, Ben Simmons, Joel and B. Is that five? Kyle Lowry, Seth Curry, Joel and, and Tobias Harris. Four. And Tobias. Could that be a good starting five? Cause Ben Simmons can play the four. 
Uh, Kyle Lowry can be your true point guard who can also score and plays pretty good defense. Then you got Tobias Harris, right? Could that look good for them on offense if you want to keep Ben Simmons? So you just say, okay, we're going to go get Kyle Lowry, but I think Kyle Lowry might be a little too expensive. Does that look good for Philly or not? Just a question. Um, yeah. I think it could look good if they, if the Philly fans didn't completely spoil on Simmons. Okay. I, I think it may be, um, at, to paraphrase James Harden, it may be too, you know, too hard to fix. And, you know, I, I, I really feel like Simmons is out of there. Um, that being said, I, I think that if they're able to find a substitute for Simmons, it may be slightly easier, especially since the other teams who have been eliminated this round have players who could potentially be a good, I mean, I guess not a full replacement, especially on the defensive end, but at least would be more of a decent shooter than what Simmons is today. Yeah, I just think they need to get Ben. I think Ben Simmons needs to get out for his own um for his own, I don't want to, I can't think of it for his own good uh, so that he can get a fresh start somewhere else. I think that's sometimes you just need that. And I'm, my mind is open. I have an open mind about whether or not he could fit in in Portland. I don't know. I just keep thinking about like last year they ran this three guard lineup with Dame CJ and Norman Powell. And everybody was like, they're too short. They can't do it. And so I was like, what if we had a three guard lineup, but one of the guards was six ten? That could be fun. I'm just looking for something fun to watch. It's OKC fan. I'm out on Ben Simmons. Uh, Janelle, you have any thoughts about Ben? Yeah, well, or that, or that potential lineup, or I just threw something out there that might, you know, that potential Philly lineup fan. would would be a good look. But again, I think Philly fans have soured on Simmons, and I don't think there's any um, any hope for redemption for that. Um. It might be might be good for him to to explore for a shot start, and you know that might work for him. But then again, sometimes it's no matter where you go, there you are. Mm-hmm. And you know if if he is committed or gets committed to to work on his weaknesses, then a start. A start would be good. You know, a, a fresh start would be great for him, but I don't see it. Okay. He is who he is. He said for better it. Or, yeah, for better or for worse. He he said it. I mean, he said he, it with confidence, said, too. He said he it with So, uh, buyer beware. Yeah, it's it's going to be perceived with caution because you don't know which Ben Simmons you're going to get. I personally like the Ben Simmons when Joel B was out, that aggressive Ben Simmons on offense. I loved it. And I tweeted this, and I've said this numerous of times. The only way Philly was going to win a championship is if Ben Simmons was aggressive on offense. There's no way the Atlanta Hawks should have took Philly to seven games. Uh, credit Nate McMillan. Uh, really credit Nate McMillan. We got three of the four coaches are black. So that's that's beautiful to see in the NBA. And two of those black head coaches – oh, go ahead, Brittany. Go no, I was saying they're also former all former players. There you go. See? We got news you can use on here on uh, Step Back Sisterhood. Speaking of black head coaches, we got two of them going head-to-head in the Western Conference Finals. This is our last topic of the night. What do you guys think about that series? I'm very intrigued by it. I picked the Clippers to win game one. I don't know why, but I did. But ever since LeBron posted up and made that meme, uh, the Sphinx Suns have been undefeated. I know you guys seen it on Twitter when you know when LeBron posted up and his whole team was on the bench posting up and looking like LeBron. Uh, Phoenix hasn't lost since then. Um, when they ended the series, Jake Crowder saw, did his little salsa dance from LeBron's salsa commercial and the trolling began from there. But I, I love it. I love the trolling in the NBA. The WNBA has some trolling as well. I talked about that, but <laughs> I love to see players and their competitive edge. But this Clippers Sun series, the battle of Ty Lu and Monty Williams. How are you guys feeling about this series? Chris Paul being out, Kawhi Leonard being out, and those other players just stepping up. Who what players are you guys looking forward to watching? I'm looking forward to watching the progression of Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden. Aiden. Oh yeah. Well and also you know, one one thing I'll 
I don't understand about how how the series is uh, covered is, you know, yeah, Chris Paul was out, but uh, Royce Young, I think, had an article out today, or, or maybe it was a tweet saying that um, Devin Booker was out there playing like Chris Paul. And I was like, Devin Booker is out here playing like Devin Booker. And the Devin Booker that's, you know, finally reaching his potential. Yeah, Chris Paul has been a great leader for the Suns team. And it's just a natural fit, you know, with him and Monty Williams. But do you feel like Devin Booker is has been given a, a proper amount of credit for how the Suns is going? I mean, no, considering how Chris Paul has essentially gotten a ton of MVP votes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think overall, like, I think having, you know, the either the Clippers or the Suns will be, you know, in the finals for the first time in 30 plus years and in the Clippers case since for their entire franchise. I, I think that's the most interesting bit is – you know, they're, you know, they have a lot of injury concerns on both sides. So it's not like one team is considerably more, um, you know, healthy than the other. Um, it'd be interesting when Chris Paul is able to return, if he will have any health issues stemming from, um, you know, after his, you know, I think everyone knows that he has COVID, um, you know, if he will have, you know, conditioning concerns. Um, and he also had his, you know, the shoulder issues throughout all of the Western Conference semifinals. Like, is that going to continue on um, throughout the rest of the series? I mean, throughout the series, once he returns, like, I- I'm very interested to see how um, Chris Paul sort of recovers from that. Um, I'm not so much worried about the Clippers, um, surprisingly, although Ka- um, Kawhi, um, probably won't be returning, but it'd be interesting to see, like, if, um, Paul George will finally, you know, completely kick off the, um, pandemic P or the playoff P, um, name and, like, be that guy who carries them to the finals. Um, so, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll really have to see, like, it, it's going to be an intriguing series. Um, and real quick, I, I, I don't know how, you know, I'm seeing a lot of the media critics, the you know, um, the ones that we see a lot of times. I'll call out Ethan Strauss in particular, who are like, "Hey, the ratings are awful." It's like how were people for years were complaining that there was no parity in the NBA, and now that there is parity for the first time, and who knows how long those people are complaining that it's not the major markets. Like, it, that really annoys me. Like, this has been a very intriguing, fascinating, outstanding playoffs, regardless of who was eliminated or who is still remaining. They should be able to promote it. Okay, that's it for my sort of rant about that. I totally agree with you, uh, Britt. I have thoroughly enjoyed this um, series and this playoffs in general. I mean, there haven't been very many duds except for maybe a few in the first round. Uh, the matchups have been intriguing. And this one, I'm so happy for Monty Williams. Just absolutely so happy for him. One of the things that I have liked about Phoenix is that you know, th- there was, there was some hype around Devin Booker, but for a long time, they've just sort of let him cook. And, you know, everybody like just, you know, as soon as Luca came in the league, everybody turned their attention over there and Zion came and they turned their attention over there. And the media has, you know, anointed the next people who are going to be the next big thing. And some of these other guys have just been going about their business, learning how to get better at basketball and learning how to build a team and learning how to, um, you know, be a team player. I think Chris Paul came and kind of, uh, was that final piece to, uh, help it all, you know, fall into place. But I, Phoenix is just so fun to watch. Like their ball movement is fantastic. Their arena is beautiful. Their, uh, you know, their uniforms are beautiful. Their shoes always match. I mean, there's just so much to like about watching the Phoenix Suns. And then on the other hand, I'm kind, I'm really surprised to find that I'm, um, I'm, well, I'm always rooting for Nicholas Batum. 
I love Nick Batum and I'm so happy that he's found a place where he can thrive. So that's kind of how I started watching the Clippers in this whole playoffs. And I have to admit, I really am admiring the way, um, uh, Paul George is playing and he's playing like the superstar that I've always heard that he was supposed to be, but he always, he's always had so much drama caused by him or not caused by him around him that I've just really enjoyed watching him play. And without Kawhi in there, he's having to do a lot. And I really think that he's stepping up in a big way. And it's been, it's been really fun to watch. I just, I'm going to love this series so much. I agree. I love to see the game. Terrence Mann had that game of a lifetime against Utah and propelled the Clippers to win that series. And then you come to the next series. Oh, Chris Paul tested positive for COVID. And then Kawhi hurt his ACL in Utah series. And you're like, oh, no, like, why? And you start thinking to yourself, this is still going to be a pretty darn good series. Because you still got Paul George. You still got Devin Booker, who don't like each other. If you guys remember the regular season, um, Devin Booker had some words for Paul George. He called him a soft, you know what, um, you fill in the blanks, but <laughs> they don't really particularly like each other. Uh, they don't. And Devin Booker feels disrespected. We did it on the Unwrapped Sports Network on Calf the Bucket. We did a, we did our own all NBA teams and I put Devin Booker on second team. Devin Booker, they said that he had empty stats. Okay, but now he's top five in his position and he has the better stats. So what are you calling his stats now? Why isn't he getting the respect that other players are getting? Why is, why are Luca and Zion getting more respect than Devin Booker? Is it because he plays in Phoenix or is Phoenix overlooked? Probably so. But guess what Devin Booker's doing? He's up 1-0 in the Western Conference Finals with a chance to win an NBA title before Luca. Zion, Jason Tatum, whoever you want to throw out there. He has a chance to do something that people never thought Phoenix could do. And people call it empty stats. No, Devin Booker's putting up numbers. If Devin Booker's not going to score the ball, who's going to score the ball? Back before they got Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, uh, Aiton was, was younger. He didn't have anybody else to score. What you want the man to do? Like Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is putting up crazy numbers. Do you call his stats empty? No, you don't because it's Bradley Beal. So why doesn't Devin Booker get the respect he deserves? He deserves a ton of respect. He has my respect. And he's struggling to make all-star teams. And ain't even putting them on all NBA teams. I just, I just don't understand how a guy that can get you almost 30 a night every single night in the West and their team has the second best record in the West. And the Suns are playing defense. Chris Paul even said it. Devin Booker's a better defender than you think. Well, the Suns were top five in offense efficiency and defense efficiency. So were, so was Utah. And they had the two best records in the NBA. So why is Devin Booker getting a disrespect? Why are people not respecting him? That just boils me to a core. Because he is so good. He is so good and so fun to watch. I agree. Phoenix is fun. I sit back with my popcorn and my water and I just, I watch them go to work because they move the ball beautifully. And that is what basketball is all about. I love the new, the new blood that's in the, in the playoffs that haven't been there before because now you get to see what are these players all about. And I'm very excited to watch it. Yeah. But to answer your question, I feel like it's the James Harden syndrome. Like if someone is a phenomenal offensive player, like they get, uh, unless they're like, you know, a essentially LeBron James, like if they get lumped as a quote unquote offensive player, they get, you know, criticized more than someone who can play defense a little bit better. Um, and I'm not saying that Booker is a bad defender. He's not a bad defender, especially this season when there's folks around him who can support him and help him grow in that avenue. But once you get that offensive or shooter label, it's very hard for folks to see the other perspective that, you know, you can be a good team defender, you're a good post defender in the case of Harden, um, even though like folks clowned on him for years about his defense, like he's actually improved over the years. So I, I think it's that. 
then how come nobody has any words of criticism for Luca? And I know that's hyperbole, but like Luca was, has all but been handed the, you're the next one. Uh, I don't know. Uh, especially since he essentially plays like Harden. Um, I, I've had issues with that. Um, for a while, but I think overall, when it comes to young players, it, it really goes back to the NBA media and the NBA themselves. They need to ensure that they are promoting not just two, three players in the league, but all of the teams and all of, you know, the players and then giving the opportunity for those who, you know, shine and stand out the opportunities to secede and that would probably alleviate a lot of the, Oh, we need to trade him to X or Y location and create super teams. If people appreciate that, regardless of what city you you're in, there's an opportunity for your team to be successful. Um, and up to now, um, you know, from the Michael Jordan era, our era, um, you know, the NBA completely dropped the ball um, and essentially allowed for the early 2000s to just be, quite frankly, awful when it came to their marketing. Um, they luckily got LeBron James and he's been able to carry it. Now they need to involve and involve more than two to three players when it comes to their NBA marketing. Um, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, because a lot of people, I'm not going to say... Some people don't even know who Devin Booker is. Like, and it, it's sad to say because the Phoenix Suns have the second best record in the NBA, right? Right behind Utah. They're in the Western Conference Finals and people are just now watching Devin Booker, maybe for the first time since the bubble. They probably watched him in a bubble. It's probably the first time they watched him. And this man dropped 70 in a game. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, okay, you know, he didn't play much at Kentucky. He came out. But ever since he got the Phoenix, he's been putting up numbers. And that's just me saying the Phoenix Suns get overlooked. A lot of young players are getting overlooked because there's no way the Memphis Grizzlies should make the playoffs over the Pelicans when you look at rosters, right? But John Morant is a phenomenal player. But guess what? People don't know that because they don't put them on TV enough. We We talk about this a lot, ladies. We really do. But I enjoy Devin Booker. Uh, my co-host for Count the Bucket, he has a little slight man crush on Devin <laughs> Booker. I like his old schools. He pulls up in during home games. I know he's dating a Kardashian, but Booker, just stay focused, okay? That's all I can say. And <laughs> I like the way that he approaches the game of basketball, very Kobe-like. Uh, if you watch film of Kobe and watch Devin Booker, it's kind of, it's similar just like Jason Tatum, they have a lot of Kobe Bryant in their game. Devin Booker is Devin Booker, yes. But it's a lot of Kobe similarities. He was one of his mentors, and you can kind of tell. Okay, ladies, any final thoughts before we end this late night podcast? Nothing from my ladies? Nah. Nope. Hopefully we're able to have a podcast a lot sooner next time, <laughs> although that's completely my fault. So okay. Yeah, Brittany, you come first. All right. Yeah. You, you come first. But I will say that as an OKC fan, I'm happy for the draft lottery tomorrow. I'm super excited. Brittany, how are you feeling? Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so by the time this show is posted, the draft lottery would have come and gone. I'm hoping that the just for my um I don't want to say sanity. I don't think that's the right word, but just for my mental health, I would rather have the Rockets get a top, keep their top four pick because if it doesn't happen, Rockets Twitter is going to be, I'm just going to essentially mute it for the next like month because it's just going to be like some of the worst experiences that I will see. But if they are able to get top four, and especially if they're able to get the number one pick, I think that it would make a lot of folks feel better about this last season. Um, personally, I think that they are in a good position either way. But I, I think that, you know, for Rockets fans, so many of them are just like, 
enamored with that top four pick and being able to have that top four pick. And if it doesn't happen, you know, it's the end of the world. It's not going to be the end of the world. Um, but I mean, we'll have to see. I just hope that it does happen. So I don't have to deal with mess, um, on Twitter for um, the foreseeable future. Understandable. Now, Tara, I don't think the Blazers have a pick in a lottery, do they? They don't have They don't a pick. even have a pick in the first round. Yeah, the oh, Rockets have yeah. their pick. Oh, goodness. Janelle, yeah. uh, how are you feeling about Golden State? I just hope that they do the right thing. They, they are looking to have the fourth pick. I think okay. they have like the fourth pick. If, if, you know, the Minnesota pick conveys, they're looking around like one of the top four picks. Probably four, fourth and fourteenth. I just hope that they trade one of those picks. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm on the vein with Draymond. I mean, you know, having having picks, and you got a a top a three player, you know, still playing in his prime. That ain't gonna work. And you should try to go and try to to win. And you're not doing it with those kids. I'm sorry. Trade one of those picks. Yeah. That's a a bold statement. I I like it. Uh, But I like what Draymond said. Go ahead, Brittany. No, I was just saying the T-Wolves pick is top three protective. So if they get number four, it's going to go over to Golden State. Um, That's even worse than the Rockets, which is top four protected. If they lose top four, then that goes over to OKC. So I'm I'm just nervous about tomorrow. What about you, Amber? Excited and nervous at the same time. I Sam Sam knows what he's doing. I trust in Sam, and that's all I can say at this moment because I'll be at the edge of my seat. Because you know things could happen. The crazier things have happened in the draft lottery, and we never know. Who's going to get pick number one? I think this draft is very deep, though. I can honestly say this draft is deep. For a team rebuilding like Houston Rockets and OKC Thunder, the draft is deep. That's one positive thing I can say. I've been looking at these draft prospects since high school, most of them, because I, I do a deep dive in the draft prospects and things like that on my free time, which I call my free time. And a lot of these players have a lot of potential to be be very good. Now, will they all pan out? No, they don't all pan out. But I like what I see thus far. And actually, this 2020, 2020 class really surprised me. They really, they really surprised me. I thought it would take a little bit more time to develop, but they surprised me. But I'm looking forward to see what OKC Futures holds. It's a long future because we have picks till I think 2027. So it's a long pro it we now we are definitely going through the process as a small market. <laughs> Most definitely. We didn't even talk about your big trade. Oh we'll boy. We'll save that for gosh. next time. Oh good. <laughs> we'll save that for next <laughs> a teaser for next I just time. I think Kimball Walker is a pick. That's because that's exactly what's gonna probably happen. He's I could Well, say isn't that. he from the OKC area? Kimball Walker is from Brooklyn, New York. Oh, like mm-hmm. some some folks were saying he was from OKC. I was like, Mm-mm. that doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, he's from Brooklyn. He is Brooklyn through and through. Um, but I, Kimba, 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 Tara. We can have we can talk about that, but I don't think he's going to stay. But we can talk about that because the draft lottery will be after you guys hear this, of course, because we can't post this until what Friday or Saturday, ladies. Yeah. I mean, I think this free our agency season, like if we're getting a trade this early, I, I think it's going to be surprisingly busy. Um, and I didn't think that earlier. It's going to be very busy. And for teams that have picks <laughs> like OKC does, depending on how they fall and, you know, Houston has picks, the way they fall, you can go probably get somebody. OKC has a lot of money free on the books as well. It is a small market team. So do you want to play with Shay? I would love to play with Shay. Um, personally, but ugh, it's it's just dicey. It's small for a small it's hard for a small market teams. Okay, ladies, thank you so much. Guys, thank you. It's a late night for us, and we appreciate you guys for listening. We're sorry about the other podcast um episode. And are we gonna record Sunday? 
Do you guys want to record Sunday? You guys want to? Yeah, let's see how much happens this week. <laughs> I may be crying <laughs> on Saturday or Sunday when we record. We might need to have an emergency safe space uh, podcast for <laughs> people if things didn't go well with the lottery. I, I like that. So we'll keep you guys updated, of course. So I am Amber Vickers. You can follow me on Twitter at simplyme underscore AV on Twitter. And then I also run the social for the podcast at Step Back Sisters. Uh, Tara, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at T-C-B-B-I-G-G-S. And they, and y'all can find me at Janelle 12. That is J-A-N-N-E-L-L-E 12. And you can find me on Instagram as Writer Diva. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Britt Robatista. Um, except if the Rockets don't get a top four pick, then I may be scarce for the next few days. But that's B-R-I-T-R-O-B-O-T-I-S-T-A. And we appreciate you guys so much for tuning in. And you guys have a great night. <laughs>